0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. Grace and peace. Hope everyone had a uh, fun and safe uh, Fourth of July, had a great celebration with your family and friends. Uh, Elena and I and the kids loaded up and went to Lubbock yesterday and got to spend some time with her mom and extended family. It was wonderful. So hope you all had a great time uh, as well. Well, here we are again. Hopefully, you're enjoying the food. Everything okay? Uh, Teta, thank you so much for preparing the food for us today. So sweet. So good. Um, We're uh, going to continue our conversation uh, around uh, our heritage as Methodists and what that meant then, and hopefully, if we have abandoned some of the original things that Methodism meant we can, during this season of a discernment that we are going through as a church, we can open our hearts to reclaim some of them, uh, for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our church, for the sake of our community. So, uh, Pastor Kurt, he is still across the pond. Uh, he will be back tomorrow, I think, tomorrow, uh, evening or Thursday morning I can't remember exactly when he's going to get back uh, but he is going to be back one of those two days and so uh, next week we will pick up again when he returns with the with the historical march from uh, Methodism leaving the shores of Britain and coming over to America in the 1700s uh, but today we're going to continue exploring uh, really the center hallmark Piece of Wesleyan theology. And um, kind of everything that I'm going to be sharing with you today is going to center on that. It's a very expansive topic, and yet it has some keywords. You know, we talked about those keywords last week, some keywords that we're going to continue to unpack uh, and mine for all of their richness as we seek to be the people that God's calling us to be. So, in that vein, I want to begin by uh, opening us in prayer. Uh, Normally I would turn to a psalm right now, but today I'm going to turn to our beloved book of Ezekiel. Uh, For those of y'all who were in our class on Ezekiel, I bet you you were hoping we would never hear from Ezekiel ever again. But this passage applies, and so listen carefully as we pray this together as we get started. Let's pray. This is God speaking, and may God speak to us. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. You will be my people. And I will be your God. And I will save you from all your uncleanness. Father God, it is our hope today that as we share this meal in your presence with each other, as we uh, once again seek to mine the depths of our spiritual heritage as Methodists together, it is our hope that this very thing that you said that you would do, that we will continue to give you all sorts of space to do it. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. So if you had a, a minute or two to read over that passage in Ezekiel a few times, you would notice what the key word is. Did you catch it? It's a three-letter word. It's the word all. Did y'all hear it? At least four or five times in the, the course of those few verses, God is insistent that what God does, God will do it completely. Hence, the reason that John Wesley believed that uh, the people called Methodist were raised up in the seventeen hundreds and continue to exist today was to in his words to propagate this doctrine. The the doctrine, the name of the doctrine, and remember doctrine does what? Come on. What? Heals you. Doctrine is that which makes you whole. You go to a doctor so your doctor can help you be well. Doctrine is that which makes you well and whole. Doctrine is not to be this dogged thing that robs of life, but doctrine gives life. And so the doctrine, you know, Methodism... uh, as John Wesley began to pull it all together uh, back in the day, he saw it as a centering movement that he would take all the great elements from all the grand spiritual traditions and bring them into one, making it the best, right? Well, that's what we hoped for, right? Uh, but you think about our Baptist brothers and sisters, what are they insisted upon? Believe, be baptized saying That there is a moment in your life where you need to come to grips that you are in need of a Savior. Have faith and be baptized, right? Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, well, you know, they teach us the importance that God is sovereign, that God is all-powerful, that God is in control. We need that, right? Absolutely. Come on. And... We can go on and on and on about the, the different traditions. Well, what about us? The Methodist tradition. What is the thing, and the thing that Wesley believed that we were raised up for, was to propagate the doctrine of, and you can say it in many different ways, the doctrine of Christian perfection, entire sanctification, full salvation, Remember we talked about that that last week, uh, John Wesley's sermon, the Scripture way of salvation. It doesn't end with saving with uh, justifying faith, but it has this this, uh, this this trajectory of us being made whole, holy in love. So all of those things, all those ways, are describing the same thing. But what, kind of the best way, I think, to talk about it is the doctrine of Christian perfection. And we sang that, that uh, verse. We kind of emphasized that verse in that hymn that we ended with last week, remember? From Thousand Tongues to Sing. Verse 4, what is it? Nobody remembers, I'm crushed. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Yes, our sin is canceled. Our sin is forgiven. But God is also in at work in our lives, powerfully, to break its power, that we can mature, we can grow in our faith to this place in our life where we are not bound to give in to sin any longer. But we can actually be people that mature and grow right, and are become more and more uh, like Jesus to the play, to the point I get this is where things kind of get start to get hairy a little bit to the point where our hearts are fully and completely oriented to God john Wesley uh Defines Christian perfection in this way. If you're taking notes, I'll go slow. He calls it purity of intention. Dedicating all of life to God. It is the giving God our hearts. It is one desire and design ruling all our tempers. Really appreciate his word there, desire. One of the things that Christians I think are erroneously taught is that we should not have desires. Right? Desires can be interpreted as something that is evil. It is something that is bad, particularly in our oversexualized climate. Uh, we swing back the, the other way and try to avoid talking or having any desires whatsoever. Brothers and sisters, we are made by God to have desires. Period. It's one of the ways that we are woven together. But what John Wesley, when he's talking about Christian perfection, it is this process, this movement, where all of our desire is first and foremost oriented to God. That all of life's activities, all of life's choices, all that we are and do in the world, they are first filtered through the lens of our connection with God. What we believe as a Methodist, is that the grace of God is very, very powerful. Grace is a gift, right? No doubt about it. But that gift, it's like this hot potato that we need to hold on to. And this work that the grace does in our life is to be deeply, deeply significant, We believe that that we have, Methodists believe, we're, we're optimists at our hearts. We are optimists. And that we believe that what God says God can do, God can actually do it. We try to oftentimes limit God. Well... Oh, this is the cross I must, I must bear. I must bear. You know what? My temper is short. I yell at my kids. You fill in the blank, whatever it may be, and we believe that th- this is just the way it is. And by George, whenever I get to heaven, that's all going to be taken. That, that those negative desires are going to be taken away. One of the things I think it's interesting: uh, God has given us free will. We, as Methodists, we believe that, that God has given us a free will, freedom of choice. There's an assumption that when we get to heaven, that we will no longer have free choice. Come on. You think all of a sudden God's just going to change the rules, change the way we're made, just because we're now fully and completely in his presence? No, we will have free will then. Hopefully by then, right? We'll see, now we see it in a glass darkly. We talked about this last week. But then we will see face to face. And hopefully that clarity will be something that will keep us safe, you might say, in our choices. But our choices are not going away. Um, so think about it like this. Every command in Scripture, every command, every limit however you want to talk about it, every command in Scripture is covered by a promise that God can work in us to actually do it. So, Sermon on the Mount. We should know the Sermon on the Mount. like Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We should know that. Well, it says some pretty hardcore things in that sermon. Right? One of the things it says is, Be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, whenever you read over that, hopefully you read over that several times a year, what does that do for you? Well, I think we take it in several different ways. Maybe Jesus was saying that just so we could know for sure we actually couldn't do it. You ever asked your kids to do something? Something hard and something challenging with the intent of proving to them that they couldn't do it. If you have done that, you need to come talk to me. There's a problem, right? Do you see how that would like rob people of their confidence and their belief that they actually could achieve it? Right. So the way that Methodists listen to that passage, it's like, oh, if there is something that Jesus asks us to do and to be, he actually believes in us. He actually believes that we have the capacity to be perfect just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. When Jesus calls us to follow him, that's the classic line, right? Come, follow me, Jesus says to those first disciples. Well, as a rabbi, Pastor Kurt always does such a great job of reminding us of this. As a rabbi, to follow him meant that the disciples would then, if they said yes, would go and follow him in order to do the things that their rabbi does. I mean, there's like uh, testimony of, not, not with Jesus necessarily, but with ancient rabbis that their disciples would want to watch them go to the restroom so that they could go to the restroom the same way that their rabbi did. That is how serious they were about doing the things that the rabbi did. Now remember in the ancient world it was you that would go to the rabbi and basically say rabbi I want to follow you. But Jesus turns that all on its head when he goes out to people and says I want you to follow me. And so catch the implication. That when Jesus says that he says he's saying to them, "Ooh, I actually believe that you had the capacity to be like me." That is what Methodists believe. That there is a promise. That these promises, uh, every command is covered with a promise. And that when we live into it and seek it, that God will give us the power to live into it. And that is what is best for us and it is best for others. When we think about perfection... I was trying to come up with a great example. It's the summer, it's baseball season. Um, One of the people that is known as the greatest hitter of all time, y'all know Ted Williams? Maybe y'all have heard of Ted Williams? And um, the greatest hitters are always left-handed hitters in baseball. Uh, I watched a video of all the sweetest swings in baseball history and the 10 that I watched, only one was a right-handed hitter. Isn't that interesting? That's all free. So, uh, but Ted Williams, maybe in his day he was the most perfect picture of a hitter that there ever was. But what happened to Ted Williams? (laughs) (laughs) He got old. He had to retire because he couldn't hit the ball anymore like he used to. And then he aged and he uh, was the first manager of the Texas Rangers. Did y'all know that? And he was a failure <laughs> as a manager of the Rangers because he couldn't understand why people couldn't be perfect like him. If they're in their prime why can't they be like him in his prime, right? And so that's what we like. We think of perfection in terms of this static thing. Oh, that is perfect. Like in the fall, there are these two trees in Wilmore, Kentucky. They're ginkgo. They're ginkgo trees. Um, and in the fall, there is this day or two days where these trees are like yellow fire, and they are beautiful and then in a matter of 12 hours every one of those leaves falls so the perfection of beauty went away just like that that's not the kind of perfection we're talking about when Wesley talked about perfection he was talking about perfection of intention of us moving like intending in our hearts and in our lives to be whole to be the person and this is the key thing that we were made to be I think 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 is a good scripture to kind of sum up what the process of perfection is whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus walked to follow him is to do the things that Jesus did. All right. Perfection. Wesleyanism. What are your questions? So would perfectionism be like <clears throat> to do the very best you can do? Yes. To do the... She asked the question, Is so is perfection uh, trying to do the very best you can do? That's a good way to put it. As you have your mind fixed on God, your heart and your mind and all of your desires are being filtered through the the mind of Christ, Wesley would say. Yeah. Because, like, I could never be like my mother, who was an awesome mom. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, you... well. See, see, isn't that interesting how we, how we say that? I could never be like my mom. I'm picking on you a little bit. Yeah. Guess what? You were never made to be like your mom. Yeah, I, right? What I mean. Right? Like you, you have to do the best you can do. <laughs> Well, and I'm saying that whatever you feel like the best you could do is, is that how Jesus made you to live? Remember, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. That when we are at our absolute best, we are doing two things: we are serving. Avad—that's the Hebrew word for servant. Oh, if you, anybody ever known, met somebody by the name of Obed, one of my friends in uh, in saddle tramps, um, he uh, grew up in Perryton. He's a Hispanic guy. His name is Obed Hernandez. And I have never seen a guy drink as much tequila as he did in the course of two hours of him telling his about his history, uh, his his life story uh, relative to his time in saddle tramps. I could not believe what was happening. And so it's, it's so such a delight for me to follow him on Facebook and watch his transformation. He's actually now not in bondage to the tequila. He's a recovering alcoholic. Not in bondage to the tequila. But he is in bondage to the love of God. And he is serving. He's living into his namesake. And so our life is made to function the best when we are serving and we are protecting. That's what Adam was placed in the garden to do. Yes, Casey. Just so y'all know, Casey is a recovering Methodist pastor, and so this may not be fair. But here we go. Fruit, yes, sir. Uh, how do you guard against it becoming a performance-based religion as opposed to a grace-filled religion? Yeah, yeah. And, and let's let's hold that question till the end because we're going to get to. Well, how does this work? How how do I actually? Move, move into this, and I'll, I'll I'll give you one nugget. If we are ever seeking to be faithful to earn brownie points with God, we are missing the point. If we are seeking to to live a transformed life like Jesus, we are living into. Our destiny of how we were made to live all along. So, some of us, like, it's like we got to get to this place where it's not, oh God, I got to tell the truth every time, to, wow, like God is counting on me to tell the truth. Because if I tell the truth, like in all of my relationships, if I'm always honest and truthful with people, Maybe it will dawn on people that God never lies. Say again? That's what Christian perfection is. The process of it, yes, that we are under construction, in cooperation with the Spirit of God, to will and to do that which God has made us to be, for sure. What else? Any other questions before we move on? Well, where in the world? Like this is not taught normally. Like in normal in our normal circles with our brothers and sisters and other denominations, uh, and even in the world. I mean, it's like Christians have a bad reputation. Um, it seems as if I have a I have an atheist cousin that I. Uh, <laughs> occasionally will dabble into a conversation with he and his friends on facebook and it's always painful because whenever i and i'm always saying things in grace just asking questions and boy it's like i get attacked and he actually he actually uh said steve i really appreciate how you're willing to to have these hard conversations and face the wrath of all my friends so that was kind of kind of cool what was i doing that where was i going with that yeah 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 okay so it's not taught all right anyway so i'm not sure why i said that we'll pick up i'll figure it out in a minute all right so where does he get this from okay christians have a bad reputation this is not beautiful Like, being the people that we were actually... If we believe that God made us... Atheists believe we're an accident, right? But we believe as followers of Jesus that God made us. And that God made us with a purpose, right? And that purpose is to image his goodness, his truth, and his love out in the world. And so to pursue a life of wholeness, wholeness of intention, perfection of intention... It's what we're made for. And so, where does this come from? Well, it comes from the Bible. Remember, a few weeks ago, we handed you out these, uh, these uh, pamphlets. If somebody did not get one, I've got some today. It's John Wesley's a Tract on Thoughts Upon Methodism. He asked the question, what is Methodist fundamental doctrine? Y'all remember what he said? That the Bible is the whole and sole rule of both Christian faith and practice. So he comes at it. Where does he get it? He gets it from the Bible. I just want to share with you some scriptures, and this is not all of them by any means, but just a few matthew five forty eight Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, go home and read that tonight and read it in context. It's very important to do that, right. Whenever you read it in context, you know what comes right before be perfect? Oh, that real easy thing to love your enemies. Could it be the most perfect expression of Christian perfection is a willingness and ability to love our enemies winsomely? Not out of duty. But out of desire, and everybody swallows hard. Hey, I'm just reporting what Jesus says, right? And so, yeah. Hmm. And, and say that again. Well, I think you, you have to ask God to to uh, give you that desire because think about it. Where does God get this idea that we should love our enemies? From himself. Right? And anytime we rebel against God, that's a way in which we become God's enemy. And yet the whole biblical story, right here, is a story of never-ending, relentless pursuit of humanity. To make them whole again. First Thessalonians five, twenty three and twenty four. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus the one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. That's the key thing. It's not us just praying harder or whatever we may think that's going to make us more holy. Kind of going back to what KC was saying, making it a performance. It is actually laying ourselves at the feet of Jesus regularly and trusting that his power is able to work in us as we grow in our faith with him alright James 1, 2 and 4 remember when John Wesley was convert, had his conversion experience at Aldersgate Street uh, the person that was leading the meeting uh, was reading from Martin Luther Martin Luther uh, he wanted to kick two books out of the Bible y'all know which two books he wanted to kick out the book of James and the book of Revelation boy how we would be lacking if we did not have those two books so James 1 I mean James is just filled filled with all sorts of controversial hard things that when you read them through the lens of the beauty of God's grace they have the power to change us James 1 2, 4, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters when everything perfect is going your way because you y'all were supposed to stop me <laughs> oh well, let me start over consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produce, produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything now if we're uncomfortable with that word perfect it's the hebrew it's the greek word teleos let me read this again let perseverance finish that's my translation but let's use the same translation that was used in matthew let perseverance perfect its work so that you may be oh here's the word again my translation has mature, so that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. I think we're perfectly happy with perseverance finishing it, it's, its work, but complete, but perfecting it. And that mature thing, yeah, we're good with mature, but perfection? Well, if it's perfection of intention, yes. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Paul writes... Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we actually have the capacity to think the way that Jesus thought. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God. What does yours say? I know y'all don't have your Bibles open. But maybe you have that verse memorized. Most of the time, that's often translated "did not regard with qual- equality with God as something to be grasped," or mine says "exploited." But he emptied himself. It's one of my favorite words in Greek. It's the word harpogmas and you can say it like a pirate Harpogmos. Um, what's the day of the year where y'all, you're supposed to talk like a pirate well we should talk like a pirate every day because to harpogmos something um, according to the Greek language and biblically speaking is to grab hold of it and use it for your own benefit and that's exactly what a pirate does right It works! A pirate goes and robs and pillages for their own sake. Who, though he was in the form of God, this is Jesus, did not regard equality with God as something to be harpagmosed. But he emptied himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient, To the point of death, even death on the cross. That we can grow in the way in which we think through letting go. We don't have to live our lives like this. Because God is with us and God is at work. Matthew 22, 36-40, this may be the the centerpiece of where John Wesley's doctrine of Christian perfection uh, arose and uh, became such an important part of the movement. Someone asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. The uh, reality that Christian perfection And being made perfect in love are completely inseparable. If you do not have love, you are not moving on towards perfection. If you are not convinced, remember we quoted this last week, if you are not utterly convinced that God has loved you, that God loves you and he has laid down his one and only son for you. To love God I think can be it's pretty summed up pretty simple is to accept your acceptance. To look at Jesus on the cross and to believe that he died for you. His life can then, that love that he had for us can then just overflow and spill out in our love for others. And y'all probably heard of my, my favorite way to define how we love others is to will their good. Now, if love is central to Christian perfection, if, as John Wesley said, love is central to the scriptures we've got to have a good solid hold on what love actually is and what it does because our culture talks about love all the time right but this is biblical love that we arrange our lives for the sake of others and for their good inherent in that is always a measure of sacrifice Jesus To win, for us to understand God's love for us, he suffered. For the world to understand the love that God has for them, his followers must suffer and find joy in it. Consider it pure joy, James said, when you suffer. Right? Because it is through suffering that our lives are perfected. I want to share with you, we're getting close to finishing today. I want to share with you, and I'm going to give you a booklet, not this week, but next week, uh, called Sola Sancta Caritas. Um, If you go to the traditional service uh, at the end, we begin with... The, the Jesus Creed, what we call the Jesus Creed, the Matthew passage: "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength," and we end with "Sola Sancta Caritas," which is only holy love. I got that from this guy. Uh, his name is Joe Donjel. He was um, one of our curtainized professors. Did you have Dr. Donjel, Ken? And Ken had him too. Uh, he was one of our professors. Y'all can pray for Doctor Donjel. His wife. He's he's about sixty two or three. His wife passed away uh, about ten days or so ago from a long illness. Uh, man, he was a remarkable guy, and I thought he was remarkable then. And even in the last four years, four or five years, he's just had this this new sense of Wesley's understanding of love, how cent- central it was to the Methodist movement, and get this, how he had been hindered hindering God's love in his life and how he's been further transformed just recently. So what he did, this is volume 14 of Wesley's writings. There's 13 more of these books. And he read them all twice. And the reason he read them the second time is because the first time he read, it, he came to a crisis. He wasn't looking for it. That the center part of the gospel and the center part of the Wesleyan message was love. So he read it again. And so I just want to share with you several quotes. Is that okay? Several quotes of how Wesley understood the love of God to be central to. To all of life. This is from his sermon, The Circumcision of the Heart. Love is the essence, the spirit, the life of all virtue. It is not only the first and great command, but it is all the commandments in one. In love is found perfection and glory and happiness. This is uh, from his sermon on zeal. In a Christian believer, love sits upon the throne, which is erected in the inmost soul. Namely, love of God and man, which fills the whole heart and reigns without rival. This is from a sermon called The Law Established Through Faith. Love is the end, the sole end, of every dispensation of God. From the beginning of the world to the consummation of all things, it is love. This may be most memorable to many of us. Uh, If you've read his treatise, I'm going to also give you a copy of this treatise uh, next week. It's called The Character of the Methodist. So there's a question asked, who is a Methodist? A Methodist is one... Who has the love of God shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Spirit, who loves the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. What's the key word there? (laughs) All. So Wesley is not making this stuff up, he is searching the scriptures. And this, this is the conclusion that he is drawn, draws, that our relationship with God is not just about a life that when we die, we go to heaven. <laughs> we were standing, sitting around the table last night telling stories, and uh, Elena's mom told a story of a kid's sermon. They go to St. Luke's in Lubbock. Andy Hurst is their pastor. And... Um, he asked at the kid sermon, and he said, now, tell me how you get to heaven when you die. He, no, she said, tell me how you get to heaven. And the kid chimed in, well, you got to die first. <laughs> Very funny, right? Well, Jesus could return, and then we could, you know, uh, be in this place where heaven and earth are fully one. But the biblical story is about getting heaven into us now. We pray for it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth. Come on. We pray this stuff. Right? Let's see. Give you a couple more. This is from principles of a Methodist father explained. Religion itself. Remember, the word religion means to what? To connect again. Religion itself we define as loving God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourself. And in that love, abstaining from all evil and doing all possible good to all people. Religion we conceive to be no thing other than love. The love of God and of all mankind. The loving of God with all our heart soul and strength and he goes on and that's just a spattering of Wesley's intent that all of life is to be consumed with love for God accepting our acceptance accepting the power that God has for us to be like him and to share that with others that is the centrality of love how do we do it? Well, we've talked about this already and we will, since we're out of time today, we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks, but it begins with faith. Our growing in love always begins and ends in faith and we have to practice it. And John Wesley was insistent that the way we practice it, uh, most acutely to get the greatest, benefit and the greatest acceleration to this place where our hearts are fully desirous of nothing more or nothing less than God is that we do it with other people we actually in a vulnerable place talk about what's hindering us talk about what is helping us and we do it together Hebrews verse 4:16 I want you all to just write that down. And I want you to ponder this. Do you feel as if something is missing in your life relative to your relationship with God? Is there something that you would like to have more of? Right? Well, Hebrews 4.16 says like this. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. I'd just like to invite you to write down what you would like for God to do in your life. Does that desire, does it mesh with what we have been talking about relative to the love of God and the love of others today? Basically, is your desire in line with God's desire for you? And to talk to God about it. Boldly, as the scripture says, talk to God about it. And let's see what God would lead us to do next. Okay. Okay. I need y'all to take a deep breath, and I want you to sing. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, one of the things that this whole this whole six weeks has done for me is I've been is Kurt and I have been preparing to share with you each week. Is I've been thinking about the struggles our denomination has been having, basically for the last fifty years. What are the things that made Methodists great in the beginning? And if they made us great in the beginning, if we start doing them again, maybe they'll make us be the great movement. We're limping right now. Let's be honest. Our movement, our Methodist movement is limping. What could have set us free to be the great movement that transformed the world? Singing was one of them. And as we sing this hymn, you probably it's, it's, it's not a well-known hymn, but it's a great hymn. Y'all just let me, if y'all can't carry it, let me carry it as we sing. But just notice the words. Notice the words, the words that we've talked about today, and just kind of let it sink into your heart. Let's stand and let's sing, and can it be. Everybody ready? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me. To Him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be. That Thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Amazing love, how can it be. That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. He left his Father's throne above. So free, so infinite, his grace emptied himself of all but love and bled for adam's helpless race tis mercy all immense and free for oh my god it found out me Tis mercy all, immense and free, for all my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee, my chains fell off my heart was free i rose went forth and followed thee no condemnation now i dread jesus and all in him is mine Alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Let it be, brothers and sisters. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness protect you through the storm may he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you may he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors amen